0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, we're surrounded by advertising messages of all kinds. Very rarely, if ever, do we get to hear them contradicted in real time. Very rarely does someone... Come along after an advertising spokesman and says, That's not true. That's BS. Well, it happened this week. And I wanted to um, call your attention to the moment, maybe impress it upon you, maybe hope it'll happen again sometime. In any case, it's here now. You have heard, to begin, the uh, voice and seen the smirky face of Tom Selleck singing the praises of reverse mortgages, have you not? Well, you're going to right now. This isn't my first rodeo. And let me tell you something. I wouldn't be here if I thought reverse mortgages took advantage of any American senior or worse, that it was some way to take your home. Then on Friday of this week, at a um, particularly rambunctious hearing in Atlanta, Georgia, the father of the Atlanta DA, Fannie Willis, was being questioned. <laughs> I don't know what he was being questioned about, but uh, at some one point, he was talking about where he lived in a certain year, and the... Um, attorney for one of the defendants in the case that Fannie Willis is bringing was questioning Willis's dad under oath. Um, When did you sell that property? I didn't. The reverse mortgage company took it. Oh, okay. So, uh, Tom Selleck wouldn't be here if that were true. And you know what? He's not. Hello, welcome to the show.
0: That the method is you then, that they just won't. ¡Gracias!
1: Louisiana. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this, this particular, I'm pointing at it now, edition of the show, and now, News of the Olympic Movement, produced by Jim Ebersole III. This week, work is scheduled to begin on one of the most controversial Olympic venues in recent years, a sliding center outside Cortina D'Ampezzo in Italy that aims to host the bobsled, skeleton, and luge competitions for the 2026 Milan Cortina Winter Games. Olympic Committee is stressing sustainability to its host cities, executives are voicing concerns about whether Milan Cortina is plunging into a financial debacle in the name of national pride, reports the Washington Post. They say this new track, with a price tag of $87 million, as an unnecessary extravagance designed to become the kind of rotting husk of broken concrete the IOC no longer wants as its legacy. Local politicians, however, are not concerned about costs. The alternative is to move the Olympic sliding events to Austria, Switzerland, or maybe even Lake Placid, New York, which would make Milan Cortina 2026 the first Winter Games to host competitions in another country. No question, Italy does not want to be the first country to say this, says Heather Dichter, an associate professor at England's De Montfort, New Year's, Univ- De Montfort University, who studies Olympic bids. At the beginning of this month, the public company that oversees all building projects for the Milan Cortina Olympics signed a contract with the loan construction firm to bid to tear down the remains of an existing sliding track and replace it in 13 months the ambitious timeline terrifies the ioc which in a recent statement said quote, no sliding track has ever been completed in such a short timeline Unquote. Milan Cortina 2026 officials say the track must be finished and certified by the end of next March so it can undergo months of testing by the world's top sliding athletes before the Olympics begin the following February. If the track isn't completed by then, organizers probably would have spent millions on an unfinished track only to be forced to move the sliding sports to Innsbruck, Austria, or St. Moritz, Switzerland, which the IOC has been telling them to do anyway. Quote: The IOC has been unequivocal that no permanent venue should be built without a clear and viable legacy plan. Unquote the IOC statement. Of all the facilities built for the games, sliding centers are among the most complicated. They're expensive, take time to build, cost a lot to maintain, and don't have much purpose beyond the Olympics, because there aren't enough bobsled, skeleton, and luge competitions to sustain them. There are just 16 such tracks. Open in the world! But it's the Olympics, and it's a movement, and we all need one every day. But there's still more Olympic news. Paris authorities are debating whether to order an inspection of the balconies and balustrades of thousands of buildings lining the River Seine. Mid warnings they could collapse under the weight of spectators watching the olympics opening ceremony this summer it's clearly a scenario that could happen said uh, oliver sorry olivier princiaval of the property professionals association he told agence france presse <laughs> adding the topic had recently been raised at a regular preparatory meeting with police and city hall officials, quote, We absolutely have to be sure the balconies will support the extra weight and that balustrades are solidly attached to avoid incidents. In principles, balconies on Parisian buildings from the late 19th century Haussmann period should support the equivalent of about three adults, but the authorities feared that poor maintenance and overcrowding could cause some to give way. Four people died in the town of Angers in western France in 2016 after a balcony collapsed during a party, while in May last year, two people were seriously injured when a balustrade and part of a balcony gave way in the 15th arrondissement of Paris. Paris police force in City Hall have confirmed the issue which in theory involves several thousand buildings along the ceremony's four-mile route, is under discussion. No decision has yet to be taken. The cost of a full structural inspection is seen as prohibitive. Now news of another city with another problem. It's a beloved carnival uh, season tradition here in New Orleans. Masked writers on lavish floats fling strings of colorful beads to parade watchers. This is the Associated Press talking. Or writing. I'm doing the talking. It's all in good fun, but it's a bit of a plastics disaster, says Judith Enk, president of the advisory group Beyond Plastics. Uncaught beads dangled from tree limbs like Spanish moss all the rest of the year. I think it's a great look. But again, it's plastic. Most of the beads are plastic. They used to be glass. This isn't the AP talking. This is me, because I know something. Yes, they used to be pla- uh, glass beads. They're now a collector's item. The plastic beads get grounded into the mud under the feet of passers-by. They wash into storm drains where they only complicate efforts to keep the flood-prone city's streets dry. Tons have been pulled from the aging drainage system in recent years, and those that aren't removed from the storm drains eventually get washed through the system into Lake Pontchartrain. The non-biodegradable plastics are a threat to fish and wildlife, says Ankh. The waste is becoming a defining characteristic of this event, Says Brett Davies, a New Orleans native who grew up catching beads in Mardi Gras parades, he now heads a nonprofit that works to reduce the waste. One way of making a dent in the demand for new plastic beads is to reuse the old ones. Parade goers who carry home shopping bags of freshly caught beads can donate the haul to uh, one of several organizations that repackages and resells the. Uh, little gimmicks to raise money for services for adults and children with disabilities. Aside from recycling, there's a small but growing movement to find something else for parade riders to lob. And now a um, non is marketing more than two dozen types of non-plastic sustainable items to pitch. Among them, headbands made of recycled t-shirts, ugh, beads. let well, that's that's better. What about the beads? They're made of paper, akai seeds, or recycled glass. Ouch! Wooden yo-yos and packets of locally made coffee, jambalaya mix, or other food items. Plastic imports remain ubiquitous, but efforts to mitigate their damage may be catching on. And now... News of the Warm, won't you? I think I just did. Soft,
0: listen to the war. We can listen to
1: the war. One of the worst methane leaks ever recorded. Took place last year at a remote well in Kazakhstan. This is just been shared with BBC verify it's a new analysis it's estimated that 120,000 tons of the gas methane escaped when a blowout started a fire that raged for over six months methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas than co2 as you may know doesn't last as long in the air but while it's there it packs a wallop Buzaki Neft, the company that owns the well, denies a substantial amount of methane was leaked. According to the EPA's Greenhouse Gas Equivalency Calculator, the environmental impact of such a leak is comparable to that of driving more than 717,000 gasoline cars for a year. Quote, the magnitude and the duration of the leak is frankly unusual said the head of the U.N.'s International Methane Emissions Observatory. He continues, quote, It is extremely big, unquote. Leak began last June when a blowout was reported during drilling at an exploration well in the Mangystau region of southwestern uh, Kazakhstan, starting a fire that raged continuously until the end of the year. Only brought under control... On Christmas last year, local authorities told the BBC work is currently being carried out to seal the well with cement. Natural gas is primarily composed of methane. Gas is transparent to the human eye, but when sunlight passes through a crowd of methane, it creates a unique fingerprint that some satellites are able to track. This particular leak was first investigated by a French firm, Kairos, their analysis has now been verified by the Netherlands Institute for Space Research and the Polytechnic University of Valencia in Spain. Looking at the satellite data, scientists found high concentrations of methane were visible on 115 separate occasions between June and December. Based on those readings... They came up with the 127,000 tons, escaping from the single well, making it the second worst man-made methane leak ever recorded. Only the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline might have led to a stronger leak. According to the International Energy Agency, methane is responsible for about 30% of the rise in global temperatures since the Industrial Revolution. In a statement, the Department of Ecology in the Magistau region confirmed the concentration of methane in the air exceeded legal limits. Tom? Uh, Those would be legal limits. That's what they would be. On 10 separate occasions between June 9 and September 21st, It also said that in the hours that followed the initial blowout, methane levels in the air were 50 times higher than what's allowed. The company that owns the well denies that, believes only water vapor leaked into the atmosphere. We have approached the situation responsibly, says the company's director for strategic development. An official probe into the causes of the accident found that the company in charge failed to appropriately supervise the drilling of the well. It also blamed the subcontractor for numerous failures in the drilling process. That subcontractor declined to comment. It's not the first time major methane leaks have been detected in Central Asia, so there's There's where to go if you want to see a methane leak. Like neighboring Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan has registered dozens of, quote, super-emitter events. That's a phrase used by scientists to describe incidents where large amounts of methane are released into the atmosphere. A Spanish scientist says the event observed in the Mangistau region stands out, quote, it is the largest methane leak from normal human activities that we have ever detected, unquote. So let's knock off those normal activities, people. And now
0: looks like
1: It's only been a few months since Tesla's long-awaited Cybertruck actually was released. To come out originally in 2019, but who's counting? CEO Elon Musk claimed its ultra hard stainless steel body and transparent metal glass were literally bulletproof. That's a quote. Beset with production issues and missing its original release, its unique polygonal design attracted legions of devotees, according to the British tech journal, The Register. But the design isn't without shortfalls, at least according to reports in the Cybertruck Owners Club forum. A trending thread titled, Rust Spots, Corrosion is the Norm, from a user states, quote, just picked up my Cybertruck today. The advisor specifically mentioned the Cybertrucks develop orange rust marks in the rain, and that required the vehicle to be buffed out. I know I heard the story of never take out your DeLorean in the rain, but I just never read anything about rust and Cybertrucks. Unquote. This brought uh, some reposts from fans... One incorrectly pointed out, if it rusts, it's not stainless steel. This is a common misconception. According to the register, stainless steel is resistant to rust, but not completely immune. Members pondered whether orange stains could be caused by rail dust from certain of the vehicles being delivered by train. The uh, original poster Put up some images of the tr- Cybertruck's body after driving it for two days in the rain. Tiny specks may not seem like a big deal, but given that the Cybertruck price went from 40000 in 2019 to 60000 now, it's understandable why owners might want their cars to appear pristine. In a separate thread, another user reported the corrosion was forming on the metal of his brand-new Cybertrucks after 11 days in the recent L.A. rains, leading some to worry that the steel body was becoming contaminated during production. However, corrosion reports may stem from owners believing that ultra-hard stainless steel, the Musk quote, doesn't require much care. Tesla vehemently disagrees. Another thread from January included a screenshot of Cybertruck's maintenance documentation where it said the car does not have a clear coat. Clear coat is the outermost layer of transparent paint that serves as a protective barrier preventing UV radiation and weather from damaging the colored paint layer. Clear coat also takes abrasions that might otherwise scratch The paint job, the user warns, quote, the Cybertruck's exterior is susceptible to corrosion, as acknowledged in the manual. Once the oxide barrier is compromised, corrosion begins. The manual advises prompt removal of corrosive substances, emphasizing not to wait until the truck is scheduled for a full wash. The document adds, to prevent damage to the exterior, immediately remove corrosive substances such as grease, oil, bird droppings, tree resin, dead insects, tar spots, road salt, industrial fallout, etc., Do not wait until Cybertruck is due for a complete wash. If necessary, use denatured alcohol to remove tar spots and stubborn grease stains, then immediately wash the area with water and a mild non-detergent soap to remove the alcohol. Sounds like a lot of work. Tessa explicitly states, quote, the stainless steel exterior of Cybertruck is more resistant to dents and dings than most other vehicles. However, Cybertruck does not have a clear coat on the surface of the exterior body panels, meaning any scratches that appear are in the stainless steel panels themselves. Unquote. On the subject of corrosion, several of the pumps in the new Improved New Orleans flood protection system were pulled this year right before hurricane season because they were developing corrosion. They were five years old. They have a supposedly 50-year lifetime. The Corps said they would be uh, returned to service after some research. Yes, the Army Corps of Engineers, which has been putting metal things in water for about a century and a half is going to research why metal objects placed in water corrode.
0: Hotel, there in a room I saw me. Hotel, asked her to dance, she didn't know me Hotel, smiling I lied, I have a penny Hotel, sorry she sighed, I haven't any Look, here I am Hotel, sit by the wall watching the TV. Hotel, man on the screen says he can see me. Hotel, silent he lies behind a rainbow. Hotel, what a surprise we're in the same show.
1: some volume and some uh, Brio that the uh, partners in NATO, with the United States in the NATO alliance, um, he would recommend that uh, the Russians do whatever they like with those countries if they don't pay their so-called dues dues, so-called dues, to NATO. You got to pay your dues, Donald Trump explained, which would come as a sort of amused surprise to the lawyers, dozens of lawyers who worked for Donald Trump over the years They at least tried to stiff. Sometimes they succeeded, sometimes he didn't, or to the... um, undocumented Polish workers who helped take down the uh, former Bonwit Teller department store to make room for Trump Tower. They had to uh, sue to get paid at all for their work. You got to pay your dues, Donald Trump now discovers Now, ladies and gentlemen,
0: he's not a general, he commands no troops, he's not an inspector, he peeks at no stoops,
1: he's an inspector Inspector General. general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, who would have thought a combination of negligence, operational failures, and a blundering workforce has contributed to hundreds of inmate deaths? In federal custody. No, not in Russia. This is according to a report released this week by the Justice Department Inspector General about here, right here. Not here, but you know, here. The report portrayed a short staffed Federal Bureau of Prisons system in which inmates are easily able to smuggle in dangerous contraband and go unsupervised as they kill themselves and others, a total of 344 inmates died by suicide, homicide, overdose, or other side. Between 2014 and 2021, according to the report, majority of those deaths were suicides with a majority of those suicides among inmates in solitary confinement. is that torture? That death count has crept up between 2014 and 2021 even as the prison population has declined. In 2014, there were 38 inmate deaths by unnatural causes. In 2021, that number was 57. Ultimately, the report concluded the culture of negligence that led to the deaths of high-profile inmates Jeffrey Epstein and Whitey Bulger in recent years is endemic in the prison system. Epstein died by suicide in federal custody, says the Washington Post, with a separate Inspector General report concluding that staff failed to do the proper check-ins with him before he hung himself. Bulger, a Boston mobster, was bludgeoned to death in his bed hours after he was transferred to a new prison facility. Quote, available Bureau of Prison documentation that details the circumstances surrounding these inmate deaths demonstrates significant recurring issues and contributing factors, including inadequate staff response to inmate emergencies, failure to properly assess, manage, and monitor inmates at risk for suicide, and deficiencies in the Bureau of prison, Prisons' ability to collect, maintain, and learn from evidence, and post-incident documentation, unquote. Inspector General Michael Horowitz conducted the investigation into the federal prison system after two D.C. residents died in violent altercations at a federal facility in West Virginia. In at least 86 of the deaths, the inspector general determined that the staff did not conduct the proper check-in rounds. In one suicide, the staff averaged 65 minutes between check-ins, between 8 and 5, 8 p.m. and 5 a.m., staff also failed to properly search inmates' cells for contraband like medication, razors, and bedsheets. Seventy inmates died of drug overdoses. In one instance, after an inmate died, staff discovered he'd collected more than a thousand pills in his cell. Contraband in prisons can be smuggled in now by drones that drop off items in prison yards often overnight. Report staff, the report said staff did not do frequent or thorough enough searches of cells to find contraband. Staff interviewed as part of the investigation said they think personnel shortages contributed to some of the deaths. One facility lacked a full-time physician for a year. Many others did not have enough mental health workers to properly assess inmates the uh, director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons responded to the report saying that her office is working to prevent these deaths. The uh, inspector general made a number of recommendations to the federal prison system, including staff should be better trained to respond to health emergencies and tools should be available in each housing unit to cut down ties that people use to commit suicide. When investigating the 344 deaths, officials determined 117 of these people didn't have death certificates in their files. So maybe they're still alive. And just faking it. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. Trans Social Media Audio. I'm your favorite target of the witch hunters, but I'm not the guy who gave the most trumpeting judge in the world a last name that rhymes with moron. And Goron? Who's got a last name like that? The Monster in a Godzilla ripoff? Give me a break. Speaking of breaks, they keep saying I hired Nikki Haley to represent this country at the U.N. Here's the deal. I meet her. People are saying, sir, she'd be great at the State Department. We shake hands. I realize she's got an aroma the likes of which nobody in this country has any idea. I went to India once. Plenty of people smell like that in India. So I said, I don't want her at the White House where I have to experience that every day. Let's put her in New York. Absolutely true story. Maybe I was wrong, but I thought the people of this country deserve to be represented by someone who smells like an American. I still do. Thanks for listening. Now, news of the godly. A judge has ordered the Anglican Church to pay $1.6 million to a sexual abuse survivor. Ruling an earlier settlement made by the organization was heavily motivated by a desire to protect its reputation. Really? The man who was abused in the 1980s as a child several times by now-jailed former priest Louis Victor Daniels brought civil action against the Tasmanian Diocese of the Church. This report from the Australian AP. He argued a deed he signed in 1994, which forced Daniels to pay him 22000 American and included a confidentiality clause should be void. The church didn't deny that Daniels sexually abused the man but argued the deed should stand. The Supreme Court of Tasmania judge Michael Brett ruled the deed should be a set, set aside, quote, in the interests of justice. What a nutty idea, unquote. Unquote. What a nutty idea. He found the 1994 settlement and deed giving effect to it was heavily influenced by the church's desire to protect its reputation. The justice said responsible members of the church were aware of Daniel's sexual misconduct against children way back in 1981. The man told the church about being abused by Daniels six years later than that. The bishop then promised to remove Daniels from his position with the Church of England Boys Society, but he remained there for years, having an unfettered and direct access Boys. Daniels was promoted in years following, including 1989 as the Archdeacon of Bernie with a U. Described as one of the highest ranking positions in the diocese. Quote, he was effectively tolerated and even rewarded by the church. It is a matter of record that Daniels went on to abuse others after 1987, said the justice. Daniels has been accused and Convicted of abusing about a dozen children and was jailed for a third time last year for six years. When negotiating the 1994 deed, the church used the man's desire for the abuse allegations to not become public against him, the justice said. In 1994, after the settlement, Daniels was given a letter from a bishop marked strictly confidential seeking an assurance there had been no other similar crime since 1987. The letter included a condition that if there was civil or criminal action regarding sexual abuse, it would create a, quote, public situation, unquote, in which Daniels would have to resign. In fact, Daniels resigned from the Tasmanian Diocese in late 1994 and moved to the Australian Capital Territory, home of Canberra, where he worked in a pastoral position for the church and at a public school. Justice Brett awarded the man $1.6 U.S. million in damages to cover pain and suffering, loss of earning capacity, and other factors. The church never offered the man support and didn't report Daniels to police, which compounded harm, according to the justice, in a statement, the Anglican Diocese of Tasmania said the nineteen ninety-four settlement was quote done in good faith, following negotiations between the lawyers for both parties. We do, however, welcome any survivor of abuse who wishes to revisit a previous settlement. Unquote. As of this month, the church had finalized 4.7 million US dollars in civil claims to 21 survivors. And has paid U.S. 2.5 million to 64 people through the national redress scheme. News of the godly. Oh, hey, remember NFTs? That was a whole thing that was happening before the crypto winter. Now, Pablo Stanley, an artist who created the Robotos nft collection a robot yeah robotos posted two final messages from the twitter account of robotos first one said it was a quote it was a good run thank you all unquote then an image of the twitter logout button with quote forever and ever unquote in november 2021 all that time ago it was announced that Time Magazine's film and production studio, who knew, would be collaborating with Stanley to develop a children's animated TV show based on the Robotos NFTs that helped to drive interest in the collection of NFTs, which reached a floor peak uh, price, a peak floor price, floor price of around 1.5 ether around 5000 U.S. dollars at the time. Since then, no show has materialized and the collection's floor price has dwindled. NFTs from the collection have recently sold for around $42. In uh, Discord, Stanley claimed that Time had lost interest in the project after the writer's strike. He also wrote that he had lost faith in Web 3. Quote, glad you still believe... It's hard for me to believe in it anymore, unquote. He explained he had viewed Robotos as a, quote, personal side project, unquote, and that he was sorry if that's not enough for most people. But that's all I have the appetite for, and that's all I can offer, unquote. The crypto winter blows on. And now, the apologies of the week. It's so sorry kansas city chiefs tight end travis kelsey apologized for his super bowl sideline confrontation with his head coach andy Reid. kelsey called his behavior unacceptable an estimated 123 million people watched kelsey scream on the sidelines during the first half of the chiefs super bowl win a week ago He's a three-time Super Bowl champion and nine-time Pro Bowl selection. Apologized in an episode of his podcast, which he co-hosts with his brother, Jason. Jason brought up the incident, which occurred in the second quarter of the Chiefs' overtime win over the 49ers, telling his younger brother he crossed the line by accosting the Chiefs' 65-year-old coach, the tight end agreed that he crossed the line saying, he can't get that fired up to that point where I'm bumping coach and it's getting him off balance and stuff. Adding the incident came in a moment where we weren't playing very well. And that quote, emotions got away from me. Yale University on Friday issued a formal apology for its early leaders involvement with slavery accompanied by the release of a detailed history of the university's connections to slavery and a list of what it said were initial steps to make some sorry, amends. Sorry, sorry. The announcement came after more than three years following Yale announcing a major investigation into the university's, university's connections to slavery, the slave trade and abolition, amid intense national conversations about racial jest Justice set off by the murder of George Floyd. It frames what the school's leaders say will be a continuing commitment to repair. Quote We recognize our university's historical role and associations with slavery, as well as the labor, the experiences, and the contributions of enslaved people to our university's history. And we apologize for the ways that Yale's leaders over the course of our early history participated in slavery said the university's president peter salovey and the senior board trustee josh beckenstein acknowledging and apologizing for this history are only part of the, part of the path forward they said the university is creating new programs to fund the training of public school teachers for its home city new haven connecticut whose population is predominantly black how did that happen and yale will expand previously announced research partnerships with historically black colleges and universities across the country. David W. Blight, I said, David W. Blight, the Yale historian who led the historical research said in in an interview that the purpose of the effort was not to cast ugly stones at anybody, but to present the university's history honestly and unflinchingly. Selma Blair is walking back an anti-Islam comment after facing heavy social media backlash. She wrote a lengthy apology for leaving a since-deleted Islamic phobic comment last week. Quote, I mistakenly and inadvertently conflated Muslims with radical Islamists and fundamentalists, a terrible error in my words, not error, er, and resulted in hurting countless people I never meant to, and I deeply regret this, she wrote. Her original comment read, Thank you very much. Deport all these terrorists supporting goons. Islam has destroyed Muslim countries, and then they come here and destroy minds. They know they are liars. Twisted justifications. May they meet their fate. Unquote. In her apology, Blair explained she had deleted the comment as soon as she was informed of her error. Quote, hate and misinformation are amplified so easily these days. This time by my own hands, she wrote... Continuing the quote, in this instant, I erred in my writing, and I finally recognize how I contributed to the Muslim community being understandably very upset. I respect and love all peace-loving communities all over the world, unquote. She said her Muslim friends helped educate her on the issue at hand. I am dedicated, she says, to tolerance and peace for all who want it. I apologize to those in the Muslim community Who I offended with my words, I apologize to my friends, and I apologize to anyone I hurt. And I will do better, quotes Elma Blair. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has apologized to relatives after a Super Bowl advertisement mirrored a broadcast by his uncle, John F. Kennedy's campaign, in 1960. Kennedy, the current Mr. Kennedy, environmental lawyer and anti-vaccine activist, is running for president as an independent. The ad j- aired just before the Super Bowl last week. It included images of Junior spliced into the original JFK ad and a January jingle, a jaunty jingle, sorry, that repeated the Kennedy surname 15 times in 30 seconds. In his response, RFK Jr. said, quote, I'm so sorry if the Super Bowl advertisement cr- caused anyone in my family pain. The ad was created and aired by the American Values Super PAC without any involvement or approval from my campaign. I love you all. God bless you, unquote. The advertisement did remain at the top of the candidate's Twitter X feed the next day campaign. Spokeswoman Stephanie Spear told CBS that the RFK Jr. campaign was, quote, Pleasantly surprised and grateful to the American Values pack from running an ad during the Super Bowl. The original ad included a catchy jingle. Quote, do you want a man for president who's seasoned through and through, a man who's old enough to know and young enough to do? Unquote. John Kennedy, the man mentioned in that ad originally, was the youngest ever elected president, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is now 70 years old. Only got 10 years left. Jennifer Lopez revealed in a new Variety cover story that uh, Emmy winner Io Edibiri apologized to her before they filmed their Saturday Night Live episode at the start of February. That's Variety saying that Saturday Night Live is filmed. They're missing something. Edabiri hosted the episode with Lopez serving as musical guest to promote her upcoming album. Really, people do that? In the week leading up to the episode, a 2020 episode of uh, po- a podcast resurfaced on social media featuring Berry speaking critically of Lopez. But that's all behind them now. It's on film. And Deadline Buildings Montana Montana Army National Guard recruiting poster is being taken down statewide after an editing mistake was pointed out on social media. The poster states, quote, It's more than college money, it's the spirit of tradition, unquote. But in the background, images of German World War II. Soldiers are prominent, which sparked outrage online. The poster was distributed across Montana a few months ago. It showed um, Command Sergeant Major Keith DeBoo, his picture holding a picture of his veteran grandfather, Louis DeBoo. But German soldiers from World War II were mistakenly added in the background around DeBoo. I'm, quote, I'm sure that somewhere the public affairs office for the National Guard is squirming, to say the least, said Randy Stiles, a district commander for the veterans of foreign wars in Billings. I can see their idea about tradition through the decades. Well, never at any point has the National Guard supported the Nazi Party or Germany, for that matter, Stiles said. More than likely, it was like Hey, the National Guard wants us to do this. We're an ad agency, so they went over. They got some adobe stock. Oh, that's cool-looking. I'll put that down, unquote, him quoting. Well, the person probably doing it was probably an assistant of an assistant of an assistant and, well, really didn't know our history, unquote, Styles, Probably. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, one big uh, methane blowout is bad enough, but I think we've mentioned this. We. I've mentioned this on the program before. There is a, a quite common practice in the petroleum industry when they're looking for oil and they run into gas. To flare it, which means burn it. Out here in the open air, where it contributes to uh, all sorts of good stuff. And um, I don't think the oil companies are being pressured to stop doing that yet. Maybe by next week, when this program returns on these same radio stations at the same time, or on your audio device of choice, whenever you want it. Hope to uh, have your company then. A typical chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO, New Orleans. We still have an email address. We, I... You can find it on the uh, the show website, along with a lot of other stuff to watch, hear, read, and forget. That's all at harryshare.com. comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWN on New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.